There's a paradox in leadership where with leadership, you're expected to drive an organization toward greater heights, to achieve things that they didn't even think was possible, right? It's always improving. In schools, we're learning organizations. So we want to learn from what works, learn from the mistakes, get better and better. But often the paradox is that there's not a lot of support or roadmaps or help along the way. (laughs) You get the job and it's like, good luck. Get to the outcome, achieve the thing or else. But where's the real support? And today's guest is an expert at these soft skills, these ways of supporting leaders so that they can better build culture and manage teams and work with their assistants. And Bonnie has a new book that's out too called Staff Matters, which I highly encourage that you check out. And today you'll enjoy uh, her unpacking some of the things practically that you can do to build a better organization. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker at Better Leaders, Better Schools. We create this show for you, a ruckus maker, which means you invest in your continuous growth, you challenge the status quo, and you design the future of school now. We'll be back with the main conversation after a few messages from our show sponsors. I'm sure you've heard that energy flows to where attention goes, right? If you want to get more of what you want when you want it as a school leader, I've got a tool for you. The secret is to celebrate the positive things happening on campus and to go multiple levels deeper to tap into why it even matters. When you do that, anything is possible on your campus. And I mean anything. And you start to get more of what you want when you want it. If you'd like to spread more positivity and create more value for all stakeholders on your campus, go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash positive and download your free tool today. Learn how to recruit, develop, retain, and inspire outstanding individuals and teams to deliver on the vision of your school in leading people. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. How would you like to increase student talk by an average of 40%? More student ownership, more student discourse. Check it out for yourself by trying out TeachFX. Go to teachfx.com forward slash better leaders to pilot their program today. If executive functioning skills are integral to student success, then why aren't they taught explicitly and consistently in classrooms? I have no idea. I have no idea why that doesn't happen. But what I do know is that our friends over at Organized Binder have created a new course that will teach your teachers how to set up students for success via executive functioning skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. Well, hey, Ruckus Makers. I'm joined today by Bonnie Lowe Craman, who's a highly sought after TEDx speaker, teacher, and founder and CEO of Be the Ultimate Assistant a curated training solution for corporate leaders and assistants, creating synchronous and thriving work environments. She is also the author of a forthcoming book out at the end of February called Staff Matters. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. And so, Bonnie, let's go back to London in 2012, and you're watching an opening speaker talk to executive assistants 
And the speaker asked a question you never heard before. The speaker asked, raise your hand if you feel well managed. What happened next? And what did that tell you? I was at the back of the room and there were 250 people, mostly women in the room. And what I saw was a real shocker. There were very few, maybe 25 people who actually raised their hand. And, you know, you expect to see something like, yes, I'm well-managed. But really, I was seeing more like, uh, not sure, kind of reluctant, very happy, uh, lackluster, no real enthusiasm. And I remember mm. standing at the back of the ballroom thinking, what is going on here? Because I'm looking around and I'm seeing very seasoned executive assistants here. And in London, you know, these are real serious professional people and they were being asked a very serious question and they were answering. And sure. then that, that sparked a real curiosity in me to understand like what is going on. Uh, it, why is it like this? Mm. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think we're quite curious about that too. You know, like you said, you expect, you expect folks to raise their hands and uh, say that, yeah, I'm well managed, you know, but well, the, you know, I don't know when you first began your career, but I remember coming out of college thinking, oh, well, I, I had an assumption in my mind thinking, well, whoever's managing me, who's ever given that responsibility of being my executive, they must know a lot and they must be mm. right about everything because they're being given this responsibility. Mm. And wow, I didn't take very long to find out that that's not true, right? Yeah. We make assumptions about uh, organizations, leaders, you know, that are highly effective. And you think that the training, the support, all of that would be there. But more often than not, when you look under the hood, so to speak, it just, it, 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 there's an absence, there's a void. You know, I'm, I'm currently working on a book myself on uh, entry plans for principals. And you would think that, you know, districts would say, here's what highly effective principals do. Here's basically a, a roadmap, if you will, for running an effective school. And that's just not the case. Usually you get the job and it's like, good luck. Don't mess it up. You know, so anyways, and I think that that brings us to another question. When you got home from London, you read an article and it, the article's title was, we wait too long to train our leaders, right? Isn't that kind of what we're talking about? But what, what did the article teach you? I mean, this was aha moment number two, where yeah, when I yeah. started digging into the research, you know, I was putting my mind on the fact that, well, okay, so where do leaders learn how to manage people? And the obvious answer is, you know, MBA programs, business schools, that's obvious, right? And I started... Mm -hmm looking into the curriculum at, you know, very famous business schools and then yes. smaller ones, found that article written by Jack Zenger in Harvard Business Review called We Wait Too Long to Train Our Leaders. And it was one of those moments that made me gasp because what he mm -hmm. and his team had done, and Jack has written many books and I've since met him and, and been in conversation oh, cool. with Jack. He and his team did a poll of 17,000 leaders around the world in 2012. And they figured out that the average age that a leader gets their very first training is age 42. And 42. that was that, it was like Eureka. That's the reason. 
you know, it's not that leaders were setting out to be poor leaders. They simply haven't learned how. And, and even worse, in 2021, during the pandemic, Jack and his team did the poll again, Danny. And they yeah, figured out that the fun. average age is now 46. So it went up four years. <laughs> you don't have to be a math wizard to figure out that most leaders are out of school more than 20 years before they get their first training in managing people. And I asked Jack when I had a chance to speak with him in New York City, I said, why is that? Why are business schools, even some prominent ones, not teaching this? And he said, Bonnie, it, it's the wheels of academia move slowly. And, you know, apropos to our conversation today, and, and it, yeah. it isn't, it has not been in the curriculum. The curriculum is about black and white subjects, you know, macroeconomic, international finance, accounting, that kind of thing. And he said, Bonnie, what you're talking about are soft skills, emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah. And he said, the truth is most, most college professors are not trained to teach that. The silver lining in the pandemic is that business schools and I, business professors have told me this. They are taking a look now. They are revising curriculum now in 2023, mm-hmm. started in 2022 to add curriculum into the program because no leader was, has been trained about how do you manage a workforce that's partially at home, partially in the office right, and right. working in a hybrid remote way. It was unprecedented when the pandemic hit in 2020. Mm. So obviously, you know, business schools are, are keenly aware that some changes need to happen. So that's a really great thing. Yeah. The issue with that is curriculum's not going to be ready till 2024, 2025. So what do people do in the meantime? It's, it's an issue, yeah. Danny, I think of the world running far faster than our, our human ability to keep up with those changes. That's what I see. And, and my hope is that staff matters can, can create an opportunity for some new conversations between the, the leaders and the staff that's sorely needed, desperately needed. Yeah. Yeah. And figured out, you know, some of the, uh, I guess the soft skills that you, you mentioned, right? In terms of, uh, leading effective teams and, it's something ignored. You know, you were talking about in business school, same is true, right? When you become a, a principal and you're going to graduate school to get that certification, it's right. about assessments, you know, it's about discipline, it's about legal, but not necessarily how to, how to manage and work with people to create change. Uh, and yeah. it's such a missed opportunity, but all those little things are actually what leads to the outcomes that we want. And I don't realize or I'd understand uh, why that gets missed so often. So it sounds like uh, Staff Matters is a good manual, right? In terms of building those great cultures. That's my teams. hope. And I, I was able to interview like 1,500 people for the book, including many leaders uh, and, and assistants and HR professionals mm-hmm. and recruiters who shared their actual stories and case studies. And I asked leaders, where did you learn to manage people? And they confirmed mm-hmm. that they did not learn it in business school, including 
you know, and I had got approval from people to include their stories in the book. People like Hubert Jolie, who teaches right this minute at Harvard, and he wrote the book, The Heart of Business. He's the former CEO of Best Buy. Mm-hmm. He understood the value of going out of his CEO office and going to, you know, down with the people who are selling you your phone and your computer and your right. television sets, you know. But yeah. even he said he did not learn how to manage people in college. So it yeah. doesn't seem logical to me that in 2023, we're leaving it to luck. And that's not good mm-hmm. enough. I see that staff are suffering because of that lack of education. So, uh, you know, that's why I'm delighted to be speaking with you today. And, you know, let us really put the, the spotlight on this subject because it, it's, it's no longer possible to begin your job either as a school principal or leading a company, large or small, and not receive any supplemental training to how to do it well and how, you know, which leads to retaining people or chasing them away. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want? Yeah. So do you have some practical advice? You know, if that's the reality, it could be two decades before a leader gets that great training. And so there's an absence of training, but there also is probably many instances of other leaders who haven't gotten training. They're doing their best, but they're providing actually a really poor example of what to do, mm-hmm. right? It's more an example of what not to do. So yeah. the ruckus maker listening, if that's their experience leading a school, what advice would you have? You know, what, what did they do? Step one would be to look at the people who are already on the payroll. You know, no matter what the organization is, somebody at some point hired each and every one of those people for a reason, at least one reason, but probably many reasons. And so the Danny, the, what I see is one of the biggest opportunities that leaders are doing is that they're skipping over the people they've painstakingly hired in the first place. Those staffers see and hear everything, but they may not be saying what they're seeing and hearing out of fear mm. or, or feeling as if their opinions and their thoughts really are not of interest to their leaders. And my suggestion for any leader is start with, it's a, you know, if you have a thousand people on your payroll, of course, it's impossible to talk to a thousand. I'm saying choose your top five, you know, from different departments, just like Hubert Jolie did to go down to the floor and meet with the team leader, actually have conversations with some key staff members who Mm -hmm. what I would bet any of them a nickel is that once you start asking questions, how are things going? What are you worried about? What do you see that we could do better? What do you feel that is happening that you wish I knew, but I don't know, that you think I don't know? Mm-hmm. And and then just listen. Because if you choose selective, you know, carefully, people to, you know, they call them listening tours. You've probably heard that mm-hmm. term. Choose carefully people who you want input from. And I promise every leader, they're going to get an earful. That's that's one of the easiest things to do. And during the pandemic, the, the leaders who had the highest retention were the ones who spontaneously on any given day picked up the phone and called staff members and said, hey, you're home. How are, how are things going? 
How's the family? Mm-hmm. Anybody sick? You know, what? how are the kids? The idea that leaders actually care to ask is one of the easiest things to do. And it's the thing that is missed most often. Right. Well, it's that quote, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, but I could be wrong on that. So I think that's what you're illustrating. I I buy that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So people want to know that their leader cares. I think, you know, you talk about the four things that every staff wants. Uh, Mm -hmm. what, What are those four things? Yeah, last year I gave a TEDx talk and I, in my mind, I was thinking, well, this might be the only TEDx talk I'm ever going to give in my life. So I'm going to okay. reveal what I believe are the top four things that staff wants. And that number one, hands down, no contest is respect. They mm-hmm. want to feel respected for the role that they occupy, for the seat that they have. They want to feel respected for it. And and the antithesis of that is to feel like a number and that they don't matter. Mm-hmm. They want to feel that they matter. No, they, it can be the janitor. They want to feel that they matter for what they do. Right. Second thing is to have a sense of belonging and purpose in the company, that there's a reason that they're there and that they are part of a system and they understand expectations and other people see them for who they are. They have the freedom in belonging. People then are free to be who they are. And I've had staff say to me, Danny, that they stay in jobs that might not necessarily be the highest paid, but they stay right. because they feel free to be exactly who they are. Number three, yep. fair compensation. People want to be paid fairly. And there are far too many people in the world who, you know, in all the tumult with the workplace are underpaid. And then fourth is to receive ongoing support for professional development and growth. There's almost no, nothing more powerful than for a staffer to have money invested in their professional development, which sends a message the message they get is, I'm worth it. I'm worth taking time off to go to that class and my executive is willing to pay money for me to go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's another way of, of having a staffer hear words like, these are golden words, things like, I have complete confidence in you. I believe in the work you're doing and we appreciate you. Those kinds of things are gold to staff. So it's respect, belonging, fair compensation, and support to keep learning and growing. Beautiful. In I'm that order. The, that's right. Okay. So cool. I'm enjoying this conversation, Bonnie. Uh, we're going to get oh. in some messages from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'd love to hear about how we can uh, work with our assistants more effectively. Oh, I love that. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is proudly sponsored by Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. I know many mastermind members and many ruckus makers who listen to this show that have gone through the program and have loved the experience. But don't just take it from me. Let's hear how some of the Harvard faculty describe the impact and their heart for this program. Leadership is joyful work, empowering others to do their best work. Principals do that with teachers and teachers do that with students and empowering others 
to educate themselves or to be educated is just one of the most important things we can do in this world. Building, we're building people. We're building the next generation of leaders and educators. Learn more about the program and apply at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. In post-pandemic classrooms, student talk is crucial. And when classrooms come alive with conversation, teachers and students both thrive. TeachFX helps teachers make it happen. The TeachFX instructional coaching app provides insights into student talk, effective questions, and classroom conversation quality. TeachFX professional development complements the app and empowers teachers with best practices for generating meaningful student discourse. Teachers using TeachFX increase their student talk by an average of 40%. Imagine that, 40% more ownership over the class by students. Ruckus makers can pilot TeachFX with their teachers. Visit teachfx.com slash betterleaders to learn how. That's teachfx.com forward slash better leaders. As students progress through their K-12 experience, schoolwork only gets harder and more complex. Yet at the same time, students are asked to be more independent in their learning. Young people struggling with executive functioning skills will fall further and further behind. The pandemic, let's be real, it's only made things worse. The remedy is found in equipping students with executive functioning skills. Our friends at Organized Binder have released a new self-paced course, and it teaches you how to teach these executive functioning skills and set up your students for success. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go and start setting up your students for success today. Again, that's over at organizedbinder.com slash go. And we are back with Bonnie Lowe Craman, the author of Staff Matters, which is coming out. Uh, if you're watching the video, if you're listening to the podcast, the book Staff Matters is out and go pick it up. And before the break, I mentioned how I'd love to talk to you about working with our assistants effectively. Most principals, not all, but most have some kind of assistant and usually they are underutilized, right? And so what tips do you have with effectively working with your assistant? Yeah, I, and I've worked with several groups of school secretaries and that education is one of the remaining, few remaining places using the term mm. secretary. So in mm. some, they're being referred to as assistants. So it's essentially the same. But a school, we refer to assistants in the world as the backbone of the organization and right arms yeah. to their leaders and the eyes and the ears and the lifeblood. Yeah, they're pretty important. They're pretty important. And, and yet, what a, you point to one of the main complaints of assistants around the world, and that is that they feel under leveraged and underutilized. Now, mm. you know, if there's no sense hiding from the fact that no one works as a school secretary because they're looking to get rich, right, Danny? Yeah. You know, right. they're totally the motivation, 100%. the motivation to work in a school is different than working in a corporate environment. And so there needs to be an acknowledgement that there are, there are all kinds of reasons why people hold down jobs. But if someone is selecting that work, the baseline for all work, no matter if it's a school secretary or anyone actually, is to be treated 
as a professional and with mm-hmm. respect. That is the basis for all relationships. And I would urge principals to explore as secretaries, me's, S-M-E, subject matter expertise. Subject matter expertise is a SME. Everybody has a SME. You know, we all are walking around being experts in at least one thing, but probably many Mm. things. And what I see is that any assistant is being asked to do, you know, the job description, the tasks on a paper. But it's not so simple, especially in a school setting. What's not on that task list is to have, um, you know, really great communication with parents and students and teachers and be the eyes and ears for the principal. And so it serves the principal to perhaps allow the school secretary to sit in on a meeting or two that she, you know, all secretaries are still 95 to 97% female. So chances are it's a woman to have her sit in on a particular meeting or two upon which she might have some input. It is valuable for them to have one-on-one time so that to understand what the subject matter expertise of each secretary is, you know, we each have a resume but it may be that your school secretary, I'm just talking here, but is, mm-hmm. you know, is a, whose partner or spouse is actually the chief of police or the chief of the fire department. And they happen to know a lot about active shooter plans or disaster planning. And, you know, that's a real hot button in school these days. You mm-hmm. don't know who, whose expertise is lurking there unless you ask. And so it really right. speaks to the point we talked about earlier, which is to take, principals would do well to take the time to take a fresh look at that secretary's resume and to actually have a one-on-one at least once a week. But, you know, some assistant executives have like a 10-minute check-in daily. It really depends. It's very particular to their partnership. But in 2023, it is a partnership. It is it's no longer this hierarchical system, mainly because of the complications of our workplace. And the idea that, I don't know, the last time I checked, we still, doesn't matter who you are, we only get 24 hours in a day, only a certain amount of hours that we're at our work. And so the smart school principals understand the talents and skills of their secretary so that it's possible that maybe the secretary can actually handle situations someone doesn't even have to be involved in, mainly because exactly. she stepped at it. She's been there 10, 15 years to not leverage what she knows because it's not only what she does, the tasks, it's about what she knows, the institutional knowledge, and who she knows. Mm-hmm. It's all about people, isn't it? You know, she happens yeah. to know you know, who to call, who, like that's, that's the secret sauce with assistance in my view. Right. Yes. That network effect. So you, you call it SMEs. I, I call it zone of genius, but it's identifying people's gifts, right? And uh, yeah. making sure that you put them in positions where they could shine, where they can, uh, you know, show their brilliance. So thank you. And for, it's a uh, win-win, isn't it? 
Huge win win. You know, the morale improves, productivity improves, their confidence increases. It's just a Mm. win win to fully understand someone's zone of genius. I love that. And (laughs) their, their SME. You know, what's your SME? Any, any assistant when, you know, you ask her or him what her, what the SME is. They'll tell you I'm the PowerPoint guru. I'm a foodie. I know all the great restaurants. And <laughs> they have an amazing yeah. array of expertise. I promise you that. Brilliant. So in our intro chat, you know, you shared a, a statistic that was shocking to me that only mm. seven U.S. states require training around sexual harassment in their companies. Yeah. And the rest of the states, which is the majority, that this is an optional thing. That That really is dumbfounding. It blows my mind. So, you know, maybe it's true for schools as well, but we want to have environments, obviously, that are are safe and inclusive and welcoming and not, you know, where you'd find sexual harassment. So how can can schools create those safer environments? It is a complicated subject. And most any staffer would quickly acknowledge that no real change happens in any institution, whether it be corporate or educational, without support from the top. That unless it's supported from your leaders, it's not going to happen. So therefore, and in my books, I have a whole chapter where I literally call it sex, which is about gender in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I expose the the reality, the data around the subject. Because the reality is, that when, you know, the majority of people who are sexually harassed are women. It's not that men are not sexually harassed. Some are, but the, the vast majority are women and the vast majority of perpetrators of sexual harassment are men. And so therefore, in our educational systems, there needs to be an expectation set up front before anybody gets hired that there is a zero tolerance policy around sexual harassment. And that it is, it is a subject that is talked about and it is taken out of the land of the forbidden and the taboo because the reality is that it, it is a traumatizing experience. Any woman who, and I've experienced mild versions of it in my life, fortunately, but some of the stories that I share in the book and some are not shared are jaw dropping and the And there are huge problems with both sexual harassment and workplace bullying. But the reality is that the when it happens, the trauma of it lasts for years. It's not just Mm -hmm. temporary. It it stays with a person. And so like most other things, Danny, education is the key. So we need to shine a light and say, we are not, this is no place for sexual harassment, and this is no place for workplace bullying. Because guess what? The kids are watching. The kids are mm-hmm. watching closely the behaviors of adults. They're sponges, aren't they? So they this, are. this problem is is very important to address openly among adults in organizations so that our children don't see role models that somehow make it okay to comment on women's bodies or, you know, using language that is sexual in nature. And it's, you know, it spreads into um, 
you know, online, social media, and the things that are okay and what are not okay. And it really is going back to a baseline of professionalism and respect. And a respectful workplace does not permit sexual harassment or workplace bullying, period. End of story. So even if it's not mandated by the state to have sexual harassment training, it is valuable to have it, to have something, to have something is better than nothing. The key there is, and I include this in the book, Danny, is that unless, so it's, so yes, I'm advocating for training, but unless the leader says this is important to do, because if they don't, if they're like, oh, we have to do this, it's a, it's a box we have to tick. It's just an obligation that it loses all effectiveness. So there really does need to be an authentic commitment to, to understanding why this is dangerous. Yeah. That's right. what I think. So you gotta, you gotta lead from the top, right? And set those, uh, those, uh, I do, and, and I think from the middle, I think teachers have influence on principals, but that requires speaking up, doesn't it? That requires mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hopefully leaders, you know, your principals, your superintendents are making it safe for teachers to raise issues that are of importance to them. And so, so I do think change can be influenced from the middle. Got it. So, Bonnie, if you could put one message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message read? Respect everyone, no exceptions. And if you were building your dream school, you had no constraints in terms of resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build this dream school? What would be the three guiding principles? That everyone would receive a written set of expectations in our school. And our school begins with the principles of respect and professionalism for everyone. Number two, there is a response that they, that everyone understands there, that they have a responsibility to speak up about issues that matter to them and that there's a commitment and a celebration of diversity in our school and that just like everyone is a SME, a subject matter expert, everyone is there for a reason. And maybe the question becomes for everyone in our school, what's your reason? What's your purpose? What, what lights your fire? And when we ask those questions, then rate and age and shape and size become much less important. And it becomes more about what a person cares about. That would be my dream school. Some powerful questions to end with there. We covered a lot of ground, Bonnie. So of everything we discussed today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? You know, my mother, who was a school secretary, she, she used to say, just try to leave the world a little better than the way we found it. Every person is dealing with a battle. Every person, and and we don't see it. We don't necessarily see, we only see a portion of what other people are going through. And so my message to each and every one of you and your listeners 
is to choose kindness, to choose kindness, just a, a friendly, what can I do to help you? What do you need? And how can I help? Kind of thing. That may be just the thing to make somebody's day. And, uh, you know, we just, we just don't have any idea how we really do touch people in the world. So every day is a new opportunity to give it another shot. And I, I think that's, that's a worthy, worthy endeavor. Thanks, Danny. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. How would you like to lead with confidence, swap exhaustion for energy, turn your critics into cheerleaders, and so much more? The Ruckus Maker Mastermind is a world-class leadership program designed for growth-minded school leaders just like you. Go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind. Learn more about our program and fill out the application. We'll be in touch within 48 hours to talk how we can help you be even more effective. And by the way, we have cohorts that are diverse and mixed up. We also have cohorts just for women in leadership and a BIPOC-only cohort as well. When you're ready to level up, go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind and fill out the application. Thanks again for listening to the show. Bye for now and go make a ruckus. Thank you.